my name is Lucy Lynch and I'm Head of Education at Eden Smith Group and I'm really delighted to have with me today Amna Salim Walters who is the um, founder of The Killer Muse um, which is an absolutely amazing title um, uh, for a company and I'm super delighted to have you talking with me today. Um, so my podcast has been really um, centrally talking about the future of work and what that looks like and for the future generation and how we can engage with the next generation and hopefully uh, form a more kind of like symbiotic kind of like partnership and hoping to engage with the right kind of like emerging talent and make sure that we've got you know uh, companies that are set up to provide the right kind of environments for the future generation to work in. Um, so I'm just really interested to hear uh, about a about about your company and the motivation for wanting to start that so maybe we'll we'll do that as a starter for 10. Yeah no amazing thanks for having me to chat as well I'm super excited um, so the Killer Muse is a luxury peer-to-peer -peer fashion rental platform where users can borrow and lend each other's wardrobes the reason I started this was back in 2019, I was ready to start my own fashion company. Uh, and during that time, I recognized that fashion was super pollutant, exploitative, um, et cetera, et cetera, everything that we know very commonly now. But back in 2019, it wasn't really spoken about. Sustainability was like a buzzword at the time. Um, but over the course of several years prior to me even starting my fashion company, I had traveled the world. I worked within fast fashion and luxury fashion startups and recognized how terrible the uh, fashion industry was, especially across the supply chain. Um, so it was because of that that I thought like, you know, my whole aspirations and dreams have always been around working within the fashion industry and being around that it crowd. Um, but for me, even um, getting into the fashion industry wasn't very accessible. I was brought up in benefits and stuff like that. So I used to um, create like luxury fashion looks with cheap, fast fashion, quite similarly to quite a lot of people that can't afford it. But I didn't realise to what detriment that was having to the planet and to people. So that's when the Killer Muse was like kind of born, although the Killer Muse name was like, uh, a name that I had for my fashion blog when I was at uni, um, just to keep myself active within being creative and loving fashion. So, but the Killer Muse, as we know it now, is I was born in like 2020 when I wanted to make a change within the fashion industry by tackling sustainability, inequality, and accessibility issues as well. So, yeah, and that's pretty much it. So the way the app works is you can, if you have any designer or luxury items in your wardrobe that you're not going to be wearing for a while, you can list on the Killer Muse platform and you can make money off of it by lending out to others in the community. So people that are renting those items have access to high-end designer items at a fraction of the price, can simply rent it, but it's also tapping into the circular economy by sharing clothing and slowing down the production rates and also advocating for equality across the supply chain and within the app design and with the branding of the Killer Muse. So yeah, that's a little bit about the Killer Muse. Wow. I mean, I just I just love that. And obviously, like touching on things like circular economy, which I'm a really big advocate for, for this whole thing about, you know, wanting to have really, really beautiful clothes and, and things and, you know, accessories, 
but then you know you pay an absolute fortune for and then maybe you only you just you just want to get that thing for this one event and then it's just sat in your wardrobe and it just seems such a shame right it's like spending a fortune on a wedding dress that hopefully you're only going to wear once and then so the whole idea of renting you know or you know kind of borrowing is is a great idea because then other people can get some great memories from 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 that product as well which is which is great um and I like the idea of it being you know um very inclusive uh, like you're talking about how you, how you grew up and living on benefits you know I myself grew up in a tiny little village um and I I just you know couldn't wait to to, to to you know get on the back of a motorbike at 17 and and leave home and head to the city and and see what else was was out there um and you know this this whole idea that we and we want um you know to improve our community and and our, and our lives and how we integrate with each other and i think your platform is 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 fantastic and i I'm just really curious, you know, you said that you started the Kill Amuse platform in 2020 and obviously there were lots of social economic and kind of like how things going on with with, with the pandemic in 2020. So was that just a, was it an, an unlucky kind of circumstance that it coincided with that? How did that affect you just very briefly? To be honest, it didn't really affect me in a negative way whatsoever. I got quite a good break with it. Um, a lot of people don't talk about when you have a startup that you have to balance several other jobs. Whereas, so I got made redundant from the job that I moved down to London with whilst I was building the Killer Muse. So actually what that what lockdown gave me was more time to focus on the Killer Muse and um, refining what the Killer Muse was going to be because at the beginning it was going to be a subscription-based model there wasn't any other platforms on the market so I will say I did found it in 2020 but actually I was having the ideas in 2019 when there wasn't any other platforms um, so actually the pan pandemic worked in my favour because it gave me so much time to focus on what it was I was doing with the Killer Muse and had I kept juggling all those part-time jobs during that time I probably wouldn't have been able to get so far with it. Um, although during my, during my time of starting this, I've had to balance loads, but at the initial points and the beginning of the Killer Muse, it really did work in my favour. Okay, yeah, that's really good. And um, interesting because I was maybe the other side of London doing the same thing where I felt like I actually had time, right, where, you know, things really slowed down and people were furloughed, you know, across the country, across the world. And, um, you know, I had a lot of time to to rethink how I um, was going to relaunch like the Nurture Programme. And, and again, you know, it's having that headspace, right, and to really just think outside of the box and how are you going to go and tackle this big problem? Um, so yeah, I can really see that as a as a positive. And um, interestingly, um, I was just thinking about um, you know building a building a platform because I'm sure in the very beginning you weren't um, you weren't aware of all the different hats that you were going to have to wear. Um, so talk me <laughs> through that because sometimes I think it's like a mad juggling act, and you're just like, oh my god, I didn't even know that I could dig that deep into my reserves yeah. and I didn't even know that I'd be able to access those things that could make this work I'm always really yeah. curious about how people deal with that and just think it's super exciting so tell tell me about that 
Yeah, so at the beginning, like I will just mention here that I didn't have any mentorships. Like I said, I came from like a very low class background. So I didn't have like mentors that people tend to have. So firstly, I had to build out my network. So just have been sociable in lockdown. So I will say be trying to be sociable and build my connections in lockdown was probably really difficult. I didn't realize I was building a tech platform. I just thought it was going to be like a glorified e-com platform where people could rent. Um, so then having to do the design, the development, outsourcing that with like the money that I had saved my whole life was really difficult. Um, my, all of a sudden I was managing a team um, and then also I was trying to get the legals. So being on a budget with a startup, I was calling up different kinds of lawyers, trying to make sense of it, creating my terms and conditions, which is larger than a dissertation. And actually, you know, trying to be some kind of a solicitor, being some kind of like app designer, also managing like developers, managing the communications, creating cash flow forecasts. And I like I failed maths twice in like primary school, like in secondary school. So that was really difficult. I think as I've progressed, like I'm actually wearing a lot more hats. So like currently I'm probably doing nine, filling nine different roles, but I really enjoy understanding my business to every single level um, and actually being able to speak the language of, you know, between designers, being a product manager. So, you know, what I do with like the app is like, I'm also a product manager. And I was like, it wasn't until like I went to a networking event and realized that a product manager was an actual role. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm sure that's what I do. And then it was like, oh my God, like actually, sorry, I'm just sore. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. So that's what I do as well. So it was like, you only, re you don't realize how much you do. And the drive behind it is obviously, I have a mission that I want to succeed. And it's beyond like a financial it's beyond like you know trying to change the world as well it's like a kind of end into my my story like like you know kind of reaffirming to myself that I can do this um and it's always like the battle of like pre past trauma and I, th I think that's a lot of things when I speak to a lot of founders a lot of founders struggle with like insecurities every single day and it's always relating back to like maybe previous trauma like you know in your childhood and your life and it's like those kind of voices come back into your head and I've got quite a lot of them so that was really difficult but every time I succeed at something it's almost like quieting down that voice inside my head a little bit more um so I think the way I've managed it is like I don't know how I manage it it's just like I need to keep my head down and it's also a skill that you've had to craft over the last few years like I'm also very aware of like when I've reached burnout I sometimes feel like I can't do anymore but I now know to train myself to be like okay I'm not as fine this is a day that you've not got it but you can just put in as much as you can for this day and it's just seeing each day as it is and focusing on what your next milestone is and what you can realistically achieve as a founder I'm sure you speak to loads as like you set yourself up to do it so much to the point that it's not actually achievable so it's like sometimes humbling yourself and being like okay I'm that you're one person what can you do um yeah so I don't know if that's answered your question but that's kind of yeah 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 definitely and I think I think you know it's such a I really you know thank you for being so honest because I think they they're messages that people need to hear as well for our for our audience because I think sometimes we shy away from from those kind of tough things and you know I've been lucky in 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 a way to commerce because I've built a business in a business so I've had this security of you know um, 
being okay and obviously I can you know make some mistakes and learn from them and and then move on so it's not all on my on my head um so I'm really appreciative of that but definitely I really tapped into the idea that that insecurity and you know we're we're wearing so many hats because it's never been done before and you're just like we've got to kind of suck it and see and yes you, you know being a product manager and not knowing what that was I and mean, those roles uh, I think I've just been doing some research actually about product roles and from a data perspective, how we really need, um, there's going to be more of an influx of those product roles coming up. Um, and because the way that I see it is that you need, when you've got a new data product or a new product for the business, if, if you like, it's like you need a cheerleader that's just going to be, you know, completely championing that product to get it through, to be liaising with absolutely everyone yeah. to kind of get it to market. And I think, um, you know, from a perspective of, you know, how do we deal with those and listening to those voices in our head? Sometimes I feel like I've got lodgers, you know, in my head living rent free. And I'm just like, how do I quiet the noise? Um, and, you know, this feeling, uh, I had, a, you know, quite a few years of feeling I wasn't enough. And, you know, who am I to think that I can I can do this? um and you know is it really is it really worth it should I just give up and just get you know a regular kind of job um but the excitement that I've found that has spurred me on through those kind of darker times of yeah. building something that is really useful and purposeful and you know if I take myself and my ego out of it and just helping people you know get that next get that next step in their career you know that's kind of fundamentally what what I'm doing but I think having to balance those those voices you know and that feeling of I'm not enough um and and then without feeling like you've got a mentor you know a mentor or a network to support you can feel very alone and very lonely and you know feeling you know how do you how do you move on so I think what I've found in the last couple of years is exactly like you said you know breaking things down putting it into bite-sized pieces that are more manageable instead of looking at the whole program you know in my case I think right okay let's look at it on a month by month basis what can I what can I do what can I actually achieve today what's going to be what's going to be good and then let's put some other ideas on the back burner that I can just be mulling over you know while I'm picking the kids up from school or putting the washing in or you know sewing the unit the, the the labels on school uniform all that kind of stuff so um, I think I've learned, you know, to give myself a break and yeah. I can't get all the answers from staring at a screen. So this was another question that I wanted to ask you was about, you know, when we're when we're managing people, when we're managing a business and obviously post-COVID things change, how we work in an environment. And I'm just really interested. Um, I know that we've had a conversation previously about how people work. And, you know, the next generation, how do they work and what do they need? Um, and I'm really curious to see, you know, from your perspective, um, what that looks like in your business about how you work. Because I think you talked about it before about having, you know, kind of like really intense like sprints of work. But you're not really someone that, forgive me if I'm wrong, that would say, OK, I'm going to go and do a nine to five and I'll just do nine to five. Yeah, I think the nine to five is a very traditional way of working. Maybe one that did really work like a couple of generations ago from my like from my generation. 
But when you look at it now, and I think there's loads of factors in this, like for me personally, to put, like just say when I, like, like the conversation I had, when I was doing a waitressing job and it was like um, per hour, month, like, you know, like um, you were getting an hourly wage, you wanted to just get in there and get your work done to try and maximise your time so you had more free time at the weekend. So I wouldn't mind doing 12, 15 hour shifts at that point. But when I'm having to be creative, like even in my role right now, as much as I do like 12, 16 hour days, that's because I kind of have to at the moment. But actually my... Yeah amount of productivity is done within five hours and I can get so much done to the point some people are like are you sure you've done that and I'm like no I have and then they look over and it's like oh my god like how have you managed to do that so from understanding myself and knowing that I'm super productive in short sprints and I can be in absolute flow for like four to five hours with no like real break or you know I'll take a walk or something but I can be fully focused on something for that amount of time I wouldn't expect someone to come into the business and work for me and do nine to five something that's the opposing of what's productive for me so I have a really good understanding of okay some people do work in longer hours they would rather get the work done because they value you know three days off a day three days off a week rather than you know two but then some people yeah. like to work for sprints so it's understanding the individual so for me like even with my interns and people that have worked with me, I'm super, the one thing I ask them in the interview is like, okay, what's your, how productive, like what's your productivity time? Like, how do you best work? Is it short sprints? Is it longer days? How do you prefer to work? And also it's to accommodate someone and whether it's a young person, whether it's like a mom or whatever, to accommodate within their lifestyle so they're, that they're less stressed during the time that they work for me and they're most productive. Because ultimately I'm not paying for like how long they spend in the killer muse because you see people that do nine to fives and they're literally talking for a lot of the time or you know like skiving that's not productive for you to pay someone like nine hours and they're not actually doing half of the work that's fine but actually you're paying them for you know delivering workloads so if someone can deliver a workload that I need um, and half the amount of time that you would traditionally pay them for then that's absolutely what I'm going to pay, pay them for you shouldn't like you know um, punish them for doing their work quicker almost and yeah. I think spoke about is also with Gen Z and millennials and the generations to come up they also do have and this might sound really controversial but it's like the truth and it's factual is that you know we do we have been brought up with like shorter attention spans just because we are part of the TikTok era we're part of like you know having notifications on our phones all the time so it's going to be a lot more difficult to have that generation work longer hours because they, their mind's not like um trained in that way um so for me it's just being open to the individual and how they want to work um obviously it has to work for the business and making sure that they do their deadlines on time and etc cetera, etc cetera. there's still going to be that level of management but there's no point in expecting someone to do like nine hour days, five days a week and just working. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't expect that from anyone. OK. Yeah, that is that is really interesting. And I think, you know, from from my side and, you know, because obviously, you know, I have you know hundreds of master's students that are all, you know, probably under 30, you know, doing um doing their masters or even kind of like in their 20s and you know then they're going into jobs or I'm trying to help place them and you know dealing with companies and even just doing their internships doing their dissertation projects it's like having that conversation of how does that work because if you're in a 
historic business where they'll have, um, you know, they'll, they'll historically start at nine. And then some people I know, they, you know, want to start at 11 or something. Yeah. And then they might work, you know, they'll do short spurts. Um, and then they'll, although if they've got a project, they'll quite happily stay up till, you know, three or four because they know that's what they need to do, right, to get their deadline. So I think there's a real degree of flexibility that is there's a lot more onus on future business leaders to, to have um, and have systems and processes set up in place where people can work harmoniously um, yeah. and, and do that. And I think, yeah, that's really important, that question of like, how do you work? How do you want to work? And I think typically that wouldn't be a question that would be asked in an interview. Because people yeah. would just expect to go, well, they just know they've got to come into the office at nine, they've got to work at five, and they get a one-hour lunch break. And that's yeah. it, you know, and there's yeah. no deviation. And and I think, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of talk about, you know, um, I think post-COVID about, you know, you've all got to return to the office and you've all got to do this. But, you know, Eden Smith Group, we're a remote first organisation. And I think that's definitely given us a broader range of people also that we have you know come and work with us because they're attracted to that so we've got people down in Devon we've got people up in the north in the in, you know and I'm right down in the south and then we have you know kind of regular you know monthly meetings where we all meet up in person and then obviously we have like video calls every day as a team but I think yeah that flexibility and that kind of openness is really super important for for future businesses um, and so just on that, um, I just wanted to ask about, so that's when you've got the person in the business, but how do you attract the talent? So I'm really interested about job descriptions, which even the word makes me feel a bit bored. And I think, how do we make this more attractive to people? How do we how do we get people to come and work, you know, with future companies? And what do you think? Do you think that people are still you know, apply for a job with with a CV? Do you think there's going to be other forms? I, I do see that on uh, communication on LinkedIn. People say you don't actually need a CV, just, you know, either do a video or, you know, kind of like send me something on, tell me why you would like to come and work or, or and then we'll see if we can find a job for you that might fit with your skills. How How does that kind of look about job descriptions and attracting talent? I think it's really different for like it's a very subjective matter like how you approach that but for me the way I have done it for my internships and partnerships with universities is I've been really open about you know very transparent about what the Keller Muse is what we are what our mission is um, and what we're actually looking for in terms of so obviously you're ultimately you do need certain skills especially at this stage for you know so you are looking for certain skills but I don't really care for a CV I don't care for like the CVs I used to write out to apply for jobs because they don't show the true essence of a person's because there's so many people that you know like I can only go from my experience I done so many internships so many unpaid jobs and freelance work and never got the job because my CV wasn't quite up to scratch but then you had like people that I knew that went to private schools and their dad got them the jobs or like and it was all about the connections so 
I really don't really care for CVs for myself anyway. I just look at the person and want to see how much drive and determination they have. Because if I was told, like when I applied for those internships or those jobs, if someone were was only to see like how much drive and determination I had over and above, like just looking at my CV, they would actually see, oh my God, like, do you know what? She's great. And as much as like you need certain like skills, depends on what role you're filling. I really think soft skills are the ones that are um, really important for me anyway, because I don't want someone that, you know, if I'm going to be open to someone being flexible, I also don't want them to be taking the piss out of like how flexible and how chilled out I am as a leader. Um, there is a level of expectations and standards. And that's maybe one of my own, one of the only concerns that I have with like Gen Z millennials or just flexible working in general is that the standards would drop because me being flexible doesn't mean that I'm also allowing being flexible on standards. The standards are completely there. I'm flexible in how you achieve them. So I think soft skills is a big one, especially when it is going to be um, flexible working. A lot of it might be work from home or whatever it is. So I want to make sure that the person has like, um, yeah, loads of drive, determination. They also have somewhat of a understanding of what the business is doing and kind of align with the business um, business's mission. Because then I know actually they feel the same about this. They want to achieve these things. So I guess to answer your question, the way I would look for a candidate, um, it might not be a video, it would probably just be like a, a face to face FaceTime and for someone to maybe send over some kind of portfolio, but that wouldn't that wouldn't be uh, like the ultimate thing for me. It's like, okay, maybe a questionnaire or a survey, kind of like what there is, like those things that are on LinkedIn, just sending out a quick like debrief, but I would like, I, would, I can't say I wouldn't like a CV. I would like some kind of like portfolio of like what they've done. I don't necessarily need a yeah. mission statement or anything like that, but just kind of what skills do they actually have and what experience have they done, like had they had just to see if like, like just where they're at with it. Um, just so when we did have that conversation, I can ask them about it, but it wouldn't be like, you know, a yes or no to the CV. I would want to have a conversation with them. Yeah. And I think I think that I think that's a great point. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the word portfolio could be put in a different format for, for different types of businesses. So with my data science students, you know, I've been um, getting them to create GitHub accounts so that they can put their projects on there and their passion projects. And I think it's really important that uh, and I talk about this a lot with them because I I'm convinced that, you know, if I was a, a business leader looking for future talent I would go straight to their GitHub account and then check in and see what kind of projects machine learning projects you know um, that they've been doing because that will give me an indicator on what they're interested in and then I can see what their motivation is and then I can kind of assess those things and then say I want to have a deeper conversation with them about x y and z and then you can also check in on their tech skills their coding skills on that as well so it's kind of like all for one it kind of ticks so yeah. many boxes and I think, you know, what I found with, you know, I create, you know, facilitate these live projects for data science and IoT and AI students. And what I've found with this generation is that really, you know, want to do uh, work that's going to help people, that's going to build better communities and that's going to impact, you know, the planet in some way. So, you know, yes. purpose is a is a massive thing. 
um, very different to how I grew up about. It was mainly just about getting a job, securing a salary and, you know, getting a, a mortgage. But now it seems to be where it's like people really want to do stuff that matters, that's really, you know, going to help, you know, help, I guess, make a change, move the needle in, in for a positive in a positive kind of stance and um um we're talking about soft skills so we do a survey kind of every year and we do you know business leaders about you know those soft skills so we t- I talk a lot about communication curiosity creativity um and I think you know definitely having those good communication skills and those great you know kind of like stakeholder management you know collaboration how do you work together in a team and I think those skills are super important because I think you know I work with the NHS and they talk a lot about well we can teach technical skills but you know being able to you know help someone understand why it's important to communicate is a different kind of conversation they they want people to come to the table with those skills um and so yeah and I think also I'm really curious about what we teach in schools because I'd love my kids to be really focusing pretty much on curiosity, creativity and communication. Um, Have you got any thoughts on that? Um, What, teaching in schools? Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely think like the school system, obviously it's been a long time since I've been in schools, but the schooling system does need to change and be more supportive of like creative roles and just like just like establishing more life skills and that like goes into like soft skills and stuff like that like communication is massive especially like you know I see my younger cousins that are like Gen Z they're like in high school right now but their communication isn't the best or they don't have the best sociable skills right now because everything's done online so it's making sure that you can still do that and um, I do think the schooling system is so outdated they're not well, for, for, from my understanding anyway, sorry, like I'm not saying this is like, but from my understanding, mm-hmm. quite outdated and they need to be more, because I remember when I was at school, like being creative and like enjoying fashion and art and like things like that wasn't actually applauded. It's like, no, you need to do hard math, you need to do hard English, but students aren't wired that way. And to be honest, even like doing being a tech technical person there's a lot of creativity that's needed in that doing UI UX there's a lot of creativity yeah. needed for that. there's so much creativity in everything you do even like being a founder is such a conceptual way of thinking and being conceptual is all about being creative so I think we need to like be stronger about what creative actually means it doesn't mean that you're just like painting a painting or like something like that as much as that's amazing but it's such it's so much more broader than that and it's the most amazing like skill that you can have because you're not stuck down with just doing something like maths even maths can be creative English is creative writing is like you know it's all these things so I think in terms of schooling as I know we're talking about soft skills here but I think there needs to be a real emphasis and like applauding um like creativity in whatever way that is because that's kind of we are in a media age and Instagram age like all these things are so creative that we kind of need them and then also being able to have life skills and I know this has been a topic of conversation it's like why do we need Pythagoras at this age obviously there's a select few that need it but like we actually really need to understand what kind of skills we need whether it's to be a leader whether it's to like be a team player like all these things because 
that's what that's what our culture and society needs is like more like people that know how to lead not necessarily bosses I would never refer to myself as a boss like but what does that look like how does it look like to manage people how does it look like to maybe you're not needing to be managed but how do you work in a team and how do you come to an outcome I know there's obviously like like group things that happen in schools that facilitate that but we need to like what does that look like in life um yeah yeah so I don't know okay. if that's okay. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I think lastly, just to kind of like finish off, but just when you when you spoke in the beginning about, you know, not having a mentor and, and coming from a, a different kind of social economic background where you didn't have access to things. So that's something that I'm hugely passionate about, which is why, you know, part of my purpose is is doing this nurture program because I want to level the playing field as much as I can and create opportunities um for different kinds of students um and you know and you know kind of create those pathways so people can access amazing people um and get that help and I think you know I had a mentor for for many years um although I'm on the hunt for a new one um so but most of my working life I've had a mentor in some capacity which has been instrumental in just keeping me sane I think as as well not feeling alone and I think yeah. that was something that you touched upon. And I think if that was something that we could that we could change and put steps in place, I think, you know, more of an emphasis on having these mentorship programs um, coming from school age, I think would highly, you know, create a real significant change, you know, in how people can, you know, work together and, and create some amazing things. Yeah, no, I mass, I completely agree with that. So I've been really, I'm really grateful to the people that have supported me to get this far. Um, and because of that, I feel like I, I've become somewhat wiser as well. And I do like to give back. So anyone that's thinking about starting business or anything like that, I'll always offer like my hand of support and like share whatever knowledge that I have. I mean, I spoke at Manchester Met University and I, it was like you're so great but I do think we need to like consider going to more um like other schools that are maybe in like I don't know how else to say it but like you know are maybe slightly rougher than like you know your private schools ever um because there's a lot of children that don't know what support there is their parents most likely won't know what kind of support there is out there um and you don't know what kind of education that you need so for me it took me so long it took me until my mid-20s to be like what is it that I actually want to do in fashion like I know I want to be higher up but what does that even look like and what even are those roles because I didn't even understand what certain roles meant and what that like what was required to achieve that and I just think and I've been at a round table very recently and I did speak about this I just think it's really important for one of the things that I'm really passionate about as an entrepreneur is social mobility and trying to um, educate younger adults like and even kids in the ways that different ways and different avenues that don't include college or university to achieve what they want to achieve and even making them aware of the kind of facilities that are out there whether it is you want to start your business or what 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 is it that you want to do because a lot of kids won't know what they want to do a lot of adults don't know what they want to do and that's completely Mm -hmm. fine but there's so many people that have an idea and a feeling of what they want to achieve and what level of success they want to have but they have no idea in how to get there because I was one of them as well so it's making sure that you can facilitate those things Um, and I do think it needs to start 
um, much sooner than when you're at uni and having these talks when you're at uni because people have already achieved certain milestones to get to uni and I think there's so many people that don't even get to that point that we need to be able to educate them at a younger age um, especially within their career so they can pick the right subjects they can educate themselves more take some time to figure out what they want to do yeah no I, I absolutely agree and um, I was part of the Camden uh, STEAM uh, project so that was putting the arts into STEM um, because yeah. they really fundamentally believe that we need to have that creative element you know in STEM so I was part of that and went into school and uh, with a with a colleague of mine we did like a, a like a virtual escape room um, we did it all based on Alan Turing um, which was which was great and it was a real eye-opener but I think um, I don't and I used to be a teacher a long time ago but I don't know if I'd be brave enough to back <laughs> into that environment now but what I did learn from that experience um, definitely and having young kids myself is about um, I think it is really really relevant and highly important that as an industry and you know as you know a, a community um, regardless of what space that and, and sector that's in is to be giving back is to be creating those kind of alumni groups and you know kind of like um, mentorship programs because I think you need someone to help you connect the dots because like you said you might not come with a family that has access and might not have that information to be able to help guide you and I think that's I would like to see more of that for the future because I know you know I've got two young kids that I think well I'm in it so I can definitely help them you know and their friends should they need help hopefully um they'll want my help in the future <laughs> who knows um but I think you know we all need to be doing that thing of, of going into schools and helping people and reaching out and I think imparting that knowledge because I definitely think that you know if people don't know they could, they might be you, you might look at them and think, oh, well why didn't you do product management because that would be the great that would be a great role for you but people wouldn't even know what that meant or what does that mean you know and I think redefining things and not being fixed also on a title and like yeah. we're saying like let's not be fixed about like hours of work let's not be fixed about you know how we apply for a job so I think what I'm taking from this conversation is there needs to be a greater degree of flexibility and being open-minded about the future and how we can kind of embrace that. Um, yeah. So I'm probably going to round that off there. And it was super lovely uh, speaking to you, Amna. I've had such a, a great morning well, chatting with you. Thank you so much. And I really so wish much. you every success um, with the Killer Muse and I hope to see you uh, in person when I'm next up in Manchester um, yeah, no, so please. thank you very much uh, I really appreciate it